as much as he's frustrated, Jamal Adams has to respect Joe Douglas at least a little bit with how he has treated this entire situation. That and why can't the Jets win 11 games? Sable Radio, Jamal Adams has to be frustrated. We know he's frustrated, but he has to respect Joe Douglas at least a little bit. Why? Well, folks, this isn't baseball. This isn't the George Steinbrenner days of the 90s where you could throw money at everything and it doesn't hurt you in the least. Uh, I mean, 90s, let's say 2003, 2004. In the 90s, actually, Yankees weren't way ahead of everybody else. In fact, in 96, if I'm not mistaken, the Orioles were ahead of them. Um, or an NL team was ahead of them, but that's a completely different topic for a different day. Adams, again, we've said it many times, he's smart, he wants his money, he deserves his money. But while the frustration festers, he's got to look around and understand, okay, this guy, this GM, he's done the right thing since taking over. And... Again, another guy just got signed, Miles Garrett, Derrick Henry, two guys. Throw that on top of Mahomes, McCaffrey, and you know you thought Jamal was going to go all ballistic on everyone on social media. He hasn't done that. So what does that mean? Are they talking? Uh, Jets fans are holding out hope that that's the case, or is he taking the smart route, which is we're 12 days away from training camp. He has to re-immerse himself in the culture. So... What's he going to do? Start World War III or start to realize, hey, I can't hold out. It's going to hurt me more than helps. And I, I got to do whatever it takes to extend myself to my team because this is the situation and I'm playing with the Jets on my fourth year of my contract in 2020. Now, through it all, however, the man has to respect Joe Douglas at least to some little degree based on the way he's handled this situation. Rewind the clock to last year. Mike McCagnan. Very different vibe. Very different feel. Uh, Another offseason in which the Jets go crazy. They try to win the offseason headlines. They sign stars that really don't help the infrastructure of the team. They sign stars like Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley when the team is not yet ready to win. They're not yet ready for prime time, yet they're signing these guys in knowing, or maybe not knowing, but signing these guys when it's not going to help them reach the promised land. That's not the proper way. It might help them win a couple more games. It's going to help them win the offseason. It's going to help the hype. It's going to help the buzz, uh, like changing the uniforms. But it's not going to help towards a solid, principled track to a possible championship. You know, Jamal Adams, as smart as he is, I don't know if he understands that. He's been speaking about wanting dogs and recruiting, you know, the previous two off-seasons very loudly. Uh, Bell was one of them. He got him. Didn't work out, at least for the first year. It's not Bell's fault. It's not Adams' fault. It's not Joe Douglas's fault. It's the previous regime's fault for not taking a smart, calculated tried and tested old school approach that builds football teams from the inside out. Jamal Adams has to understand that while he's the best player on the team, he's a strong safety. Joe Douglas 
paying attention to and trying to build from the inside out is the proper way to build a winning football team. So as much as he's frustrated with not getting his money, he has to sit back and say, okay, yeah, it sucks. I deserve my money. I should be making a lot more than $3.5 million this year. He goes up in his fifth year, obviously. I forget the actual number, but it's somewhere around 10, maybe 9. And he's going to make $30 million over his first five years if nothing changes. But he's got to be sitting back realizing, okay, this is not the previous regime. Not jumping in with two feet first, as great as I am, makes sense based on this current depth chart. Jamal Adams has been playing handicapped. Without a John Abraham type outside, without a conventional four-man pass rush, this guy has made two all-pro teams, one first team, one second team, two Pro Bowls, and is already the best safety in Jets history while playing handicapped. I mean, think about it. Look around the league. And if you're on YouTube, you see the article that was published this morning titled, Jamal Adams is double-edged sword when thinking about Joe Douglas. Just what I talked about. Frustration, yet at some part of him understands, hey, this is a solid regime and how they're handling things. This is not what I experienced the first two years, first two and a half years, what have you. Adams is a safety. I think, personally, strong safety. These aren't the days of the two deep 1980s, Tampa 2, 1990s NFL. I think strong safety has leapfrogged cornerback in value, in importance, in this league, the way the rules are constituted. Running backs and tight ends, when quarterbacks have that advantage, tear up defenses. Thanks to these rules. You know, look at the Pats. James White. uh, Gronkowski. Any kind of vertical threat tight end. Gronkowski is not a vertical threat, but you get the idea. There's a lot of those little tight ends. You know, Jordan Reed. uh, You know, across the board. The only guy who could shut those mismatches down is this stud, versatile, strong safety who could do it all. That end, when was the last time the league saw a true shutdown cornerback? I would argue Darrell Rivas. Richard Sherman played in the cover three. He didn't follow guys around. It wasn't locking them up man-to-man defense everywhere. It's not that way. It's not that way for a reigning defensive player of the year, Stephon Gilmore. You know, he gets burnt. Every guy gets burnt. That's the way these rules are. You can't touch these guys. It's impossible to cover them. It's impossible to not give up something. And even in Rivas's case, it was impossible. Because when Rivas entered the league, that was around the time yards, touchdowns, points, passing yards started to explode thanks to the rules. So from that regard, I think strong safety has passed cornerback. Not free safety. Strong safety has passed cornerback in terms of importance. And you look at Pro Football Focus's numbers, I don't have it pulled up, I can't give it to you exactly right now, but if you look at it independently, you'll see that the top 10 strong safeties, graded strong safeties, were, will showcase more winning teams than the top 10 cornerbacks over the last several years. Maybe we'll do that pretty soon on a podcast or an article, but that is an absolute certainty. Now, 
despite my feeling that strong safety is more valuable, it hasn't reflected in payroll. Safety, and this is including free safety too, because they don't break that up by and large with the numbers. Safety is still the position of Rodney Dangerfield. It's still the position that doesn't get the respect. Unlike interior defensive line, edge, cornerback, and even linebacker, which surprised me. I thought safety would have more respect than linebacker, second-level linebacker, like a C.J. Mosley, not a pass rusher, second-level linebacker. Even linebacker gets more respect. Right now, only eight safeties have a cap hit of over $10 million slated for the 2020 season. Eight. Now, in 2019, it was six. Considering there's only two positions, it, it might make sense to some. But, and if you're on YouTube, you're looking at it right now, Tyron Matthew leapfrogged from cap number from last year to this year in his second year. He's leading the way at 16.3 in 2020. Earl Thomas second at 15. Got to go all the way down to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 14th for Jamal Adams at 7.1 cap it this year. Only 10 over $10 million. This pales in comparison to other positions. Look at the interior defensive line. Look at how many guys are over $10 million. Now, granted, interior defensive line has more players four i'm excuse me three or two if it's a base and it's a it's a three four you'll have three if it's a four three you'll have two nickel you'll have two so it's really not that many defensive players because even with safety and big dime you'll have three safeties as opposed to two so it's comparable to safety yet the interior defensive line trumps that number of eight over 10 million um they have 18 above 10 million slated for 2020. Edge rushers, 21. Again, there's only two edge rushers on the field at the same time. 21 compared to eight safeties. At cornerbacks, 13. Which is kind of, pretty close. Only five more than, than safety. And cornerback has gone down a little in recent years with salary cut numbers based on the rules, based on the yardage. And the shocker was the linebacker, second-level linebacker position, has 10 players above 10 million. More than the eight safeties above 10 million. It's truly the Rodney Dangerfield of the defense right now. And you're looking at the edge rushers, again, if you're on YouTube, Khalil Mack, 26, that's absurd. Edge rushers have four, over 20 million. Khalil Mack, Von Miller, Demarcus Lawrence, Chandler Jones. Uh, Let's go to linebacker real quick. Uh, Now, linebacker, they'll throw edge rusher if it's a 3-4, if they're an outside linebacker, in there with linebacker. So I broke it up. It's still 10 second-level linebackers. C.J. Mosley's number one with 17.5, which, listen, everyone hopes Mosley does great this year, but not a contract you want to sign when you're not ready for prime time. If you're Mike McCagnan, last offseason. Cornerback, Stefan Gilmore, 18.6. And that's it. 
safety only has eight. So clearly, it's safety on defense. Running back is the danger field of offense. They don't get respect. And it's it's just the nature of the position. It's dependent on so many things around it. It's dependent on the offensive line. And when you think about running back, uh, you think about this. The top five running backs in 2019 per cap hit. Uh, tweet by Warren Sharp. Number one, David Johnson. He was bad, then he was traded. He, he got older. That's what happens. The, short, the shelf life of the running back is not great. Number two, Todd Gurley. Bad, then cut. Again, got older. Uh, once the Rams offensive line declined a little bit, that'll happen. Le'Veon Bell, 3.2 yards per carry. He was number three. Again, bad offensive line. Leonard Fournette, he wasn't terrible, but uh, sharp put here, went to the trade block. I don't know. I mean, I guess the Jags are trying to get rid of him. Whatever. Number five, Lamar Miller, now a free agent. Again, this is the life of the running back. I think the CBA should be changed where the running back should go enter free agency after a second or third year in a league. It's just the way it is. So when looking at all these different things, Joe Douglas is sitting there thinking, why am I going to pay this guy, Jamal Adams, way above safety market value, value money? And that's what he wants. He doesn't, yeah, he wants to be the highest paid safety, but he also wants to be the highest paid player on the Jets. And his what he wishes, his cap hit, would trump what Tyron Matthews is right now. And if you're Joe Douglas, after the third year, defensive players, most players, don't get extensions after the third year on the rookie deal. Le'Veon Bell had to wait till his uh, after his sixth year, fifth year with a franchise tag, then he held out in his sixth year. And he was a second round pick. He didn't make nearly as much as Adams. I think it was four or five million he made on his rookie deal before the franchise tags uh, paid him. And if you're Douglas, why would you pay this guy? Why would you pay this guy right now when you still have two years of control on him? Let bad franchises like the Carolina Panthers sign Christian McCaffrey. Uh, The Chiefs with Mahomes, that's a no-brainer. That's in a different category completely. Cleveland Browns with Miles Garrett, that's an edge rusher. Yeah, Miles Garrett's he's both. He's a tweener. He could play in, inside and on the edge. But the 4-3 they run, he's an edge rusher. You know, let Landon Collins with the Redskins, that that whole ordeal. Yeah, Landon Collins was happy. He got his money. The Redskins were happy. The Redskins fans were happy. They won the offseason. They were excited for a stud safety, stud strong safety. Alabama. How's that worked out? Let the bad franchises jump in with two feet first on guys that don't truly move the needle. Now, does Jamal Adams move the needle? Of course he does. He's the best safety in the league, in my opinion. Will I be pleased if the Jets sign him right now? Yes, I would be pleased. I think he's worth it. I think he's worth every penny. But that respect from Adams when thinking about Joe Douglas has to be there at least a little bit. When thinking about the current climate, the current situation he's in, no matter the frustration, the respect has to be there just at least a little bit. And that's got to put at least a little smirk, a little smile on Adams' face when thinking about the future with the Jets. Secondly, 
will the season even happen? Ralph Facchiano retweets a TJ Watt. Excuse me, JJ Watt. TJ starting to overtake his brother, his big brother in, uh, in the minds of many. JJ Watt, quote, in the interest of having everyone on the same page in terms of what we know and don't know at this time, here are a few things I've learned being on four NFLPA calls in the last two weeks with hundreds of other players. Keep in mind our rookies are scheduled to report in 48 hours. Training camp is 12 days away, folks. And the uncertainty is insane. Here's what we know and don't know. And by the way, if you think I'm going to get political, there isn't a chance in hell I will get political with anything I do. Jets, New York sports related, won't happen. Getting political on social media, getting political while trying to uh, have people come to the sandbox that is sports, it's just not what we do. And furthermore, for people who think who, you know, use social media that it actually makes this dent, this difference, this huge difference, sorry, face-to-face conversation is what makes the difference in this world. Not tweets that limit you to 256 characters where no conversation could be had. J.J. Watt, here's what we know and don't know. We want to play. We want to be as safe as possible. We have not received a single valid IDER plan, which stands for Infections, Disease, Emergency Response from any team or league. We don't know if there are preseason games or not. We don't know if there will be daily testing, semi-daily testing, etc., We don't know how a potential positive COVID test would affect contracts, roster spots, etc. Nothing has been agreed upon regarding what training camp will actually look like and how the ramp-up period will work. We want to play. As you know, what's happening in Florida, positive cases are ramping up, although the testing is beyond ramped up. Um, So messaging, headlines, That's what rules our world. You know, Twitter is the epicenter of the news media world. Social media has affected how news works. It's about messaging. That's what it comes down to. If you pop on the news, you're on CNN, and you see in the bottom left-hand corner a ticker that tracks live deaths from auto accidents every minute, every hour of the day, your thought about driving every day might change just a tad. Society's thought about getting rid of cars as a whole might be there. It comes down to messaging. So when J.J. Watt says this, the NFL has to respond. The NFL has to be firm in its messaging because what they say will reverberate throughout the news online media landscape. What will happen in 12 days? And once the training camp starts... How will, it, how will it shake out when guys are infected? A lot of uncertainty lie ahead. Which is why Madden has been a huge topic. A lot of you can't stand it. A lot of you love it. I'm an original, born in 82. I played in the 90s. I actually had Joe Montana football for Genesis in 94 first. Uh, Tecmo Super Bowl, of course, for Nintendo. Then Joe Montana Football, 94, for a few years for Genesis. 
and then Madden in the late 90s, and then I stuck with Madden. Of course, I played 2K5 uh, for PS2, but I'm an original uh, Madden player back in the day. Haven't played in a while here and there, but the ratings for Jets players came out. Madden School released its top 10 players. Jamal Adams, 92. Le'Veon Bell, 87. C.J. Mosley, 85. Avery Williamson, 83. Pierre Desir, 81. Marcus May, 81. Brian Poole, 80. Jameson Crowder, 80. Frank Gore, 79. Brian Winters, 79. Brian Winters is the highest rated offensive lineman on the Jets. A lot of Jets fans are laughing hilariously at that notion, but it's true. Um, As much as you, the fan listening to this, might not give a damn about Madden, guess what? Based on the uncertainty with training camp, with our society, with that, what's, what, what's happening, that might be the only actual game in town. So don't laugh. Don't scoff. It deserves a worthy point out. Now, beyond that, Madden School, which released the top 10 players for each team, Jets X Factor, a source close to Jets X Factor, released other notable Jets Madden rating. Madden 21 ratings. Sam Darnold, your boy, your quarterback, rated 73. I was told he was rated 74 last year. I think he was rated 75 as a rookie. Don't quote me on that. But he is 73. A lot of Jets fans hoping for 78, 79. As you can see the comments on Twitter, the replies. Um, Mekhi Becton, 72. The Rook. The guy who moves trucks. And no, there's no, how well does he move a truck rating in Madden? There's just trucking, which is good for offense, uh, and impact blocking, which is good for the offensive lineman. Bless Austin, 73. Bless Austin tweeted, I think last week, all he wanted, his two wishes, were not to be in the 60s and to want a 92 plus speed. I don't know his speed. I just know he's 73. I don't think he'll be at 92, to be honest, which will disappoint him, but we shall see. Someone tell Bless Austin he's 73. I don't think he's seen it yet. Bashad Perryman, 75. Connor McGovern, 74. And that's the one that's killing Jets fans. McGovern should be the highest rated offensive lineman for the Jets. Per pro football focus, he was the 10th or in the top 10 of centers last year. Overall grades. And he's five points less than Brian Winters. You got to be kidding me. Conan Williams, 78. Chris Herndon, 72. Joe Flacco, 69. Greg Van Rotten, 68. The only guy with superstar X-Factor ability is Jamal Adams. X-Factor ability is reinforcement. His superstar abilities are enforcer and flat zone KO, which I assume is knockout. Last year, Le'Veon Bell was the only superstar X-Factor while Adams and Mosley were just superstars, but didn't have the X-Factor, which is a name we like here at Jets X-Factor. This year, flip it. Adams is the guy. I don't know what Bell and Mosley are, if they're superstars without the X-Factor, or they're just stars. And there's your Madden info for the day, based on the uncertainty with what's happening. And nobody knows. All we could do is hold our breath and hope for the best. Lastly, 
why can't the Jets win 11 games? You know, the Jets fans like the kid in high school who really hasn't experienced much. But, you know, the prom's coming up and he's asking around. He wants a date. You know, his mom really wants him to get a date and have the pictures for memories. And like the kid who's asking around school to get this prom date yet keeps getting spurned, keeps getting turned down. That's a Jet fan. After a while, you'll just give up. Jet fan wants to be hopeful. They'll pick him to win more games than they should each offseason until there comes a point in time when they're just done. They're sick and tired of it. They throw their hands up in the air and say, screw this. This team sucks until proven otherwise. That might bite you this season because there was more talent on this team over the last couple of years to finish where they finished. Now, 7-9 last year isn't terrible. But if you look around, the talent on the team is there. And this one question needs to rule your thought process when thinking about how good they could be in 2020, if there is a season, obviously. What if all they needed was a competent offensive line? I mean, the the numbers aren't tough to be fooled by. Per Football Outsiders, they were second to last in adjusted line yards, offensive line, 31st, only Miami was worse. And they were also second to last in adjusted sack rate. So both on the ground and through the air, they were god-awful last year. And they still won seven games. Sam Darnold had mono and missed three games. And they still won seven games. C.J. Mosley missed the entire year and they still won seven games. Le'Veon Bell ran for a 3.2 yards per carry. And they still won seven games. All the injuries they had. Herndon, uh, their number two receiver, Anunwa. It goes on and on. What if all they needed was a competent offensive line? Suddenly, this seven-win team could win 11 games, 10 games. Win the division if the Pats-Cam Newton experiment doesn't work out. And Buffalo, you, you already know my thoughts on Buffalo, I think. I think they're overrated. Solid team, great defense. Josh Allen, uh, I didn't like the Josh Allen haters, so I was a little higher on Josh Allen than other people, but he still doesn't do it for me. The accuracy is the most important issue. And Sam Darnold has a lot to work out himself. Accuracy is not the big thing, though. His deal is not locking onto guys pre-snap, going through, rolling through progressions post-snap. But again, what if all they needed was a competent offensive line? Look through Jets history. I always use this example. From 2005 to 2006, a terrible team in Herm Edwards' last year. Look at the offensive line. Adrian Jones, Jonathan Goodwin, Pete Kendall, Brandon Moore, Jason Fabini. Looks decent on paper, to be honest. Uh, Pennington got hurt. Curtis Martin was old. They had Lavernius Coles and Justin McCarrens at wideout, Gerald Soule at, tight, at uh, fullback, Chris Baker at tight end. Fast forward one year. With Mangini and Tannenbaum, Tannenbaum gets promoted to GM, Mangini comes in. The new tandem, what do they do? They say this offensive line is stale and we're going to flip three starters. Now remember, Jonathan Goodwin had a good career in the, with the Saints, but he just didn't work out with the Jets. So Kendall remains, Brandon Moore remains, 
They draft Ferguson. They draft Mangold. They snag Anthony Clement at right tackle. And suddenly the line is DeBrickshaw Ferguson, Pete Kendall, Mangold, Moore, Clement. Martin retires. Pennington comes back. Leon Washington and Kevin Barlow are the running backs. Coles and Cotchery and McCarrens are the receivers. Chris Baker's the tight end. Weapons pretty much stayed the same. Cotchery was on the previous team. He just didn't play much. He, re- he returned some punts, uh, maybe some kicks, and uh, got a big promotion once Mangini came aboard. Suddenly, team goes from horrible to 10 wins, makes the playoffs, surprises the world. They were viewed as one of the worst rosters in football entering the league. Sometimes that's what an offensive line does. It surprises the hell out of everybody. It allows the guys behind it and around it to suddenly live up to its potential. Other example, Bill Parcells, 1998. First, the 1996 team. Offensive line, Jumbo Elliott, Harry Galbraith, Roger Duffy, Matt O'Dwyer, David Williams. Go to 97, they go from one win to nine wins. Offensive line pretty much stayed the same. But Parcells arrives. The defense gets better. Uh, the only swap out was at left guard as they added Lonnie Palele. Now from 97 to 98, what do they do? They turn over three starters. Jumbo and O'Dwyer are still there, but they acquire Todd Berger, Kevin Mawai, and Jason Fabini. And Mawai and Fabini become the bookends, not the bookends, but the staples of the offensive line for the next decade. They move from nine wins to 12 wins, win their first ever AFC East division title, their first division title since the AFL days, and off they go. Yeah, Curtis Martin helped too. They acquired Curtis Martin in 98, but you get the idea. There are other examples, league-wide, history-wide, where all, sometimes all a quarterback needed or all sometimes a coach needed is an offensive line. We already know the Jets' defense is good, even without that edge rusher. And again, the same principle could be applied to the defense. Sometimes all the defense needs is that edge rusher, that guy who could wreck games and complete the the four-man conventional rush. I mean, imagine if Greg Williams and Jamal Adams had John Abraham or Khalil Mack. He would be the top defense in the league. So, listen, don't exactly be that guy who's so pessimistic you can't envision 11 or 12 games or 10 wins. It's possible. Sometimes all is needed is an offensive line. We've seen it so many times throughout history. Is it probable? No. But guess what? It is absolutely possible. And right now, if I had to guess a record for the Jets, I'd go 10 and 6. And I'm usually not the most optimistic guy in the world pertaining to the Jets. But I see this year as a unique... This is as long as Jamal Adams is playing. Jamal Adams has to play. If he's not, it's nowhere near 10 wins. I'm going 7 or 8. But if Jamal Adams plays, the depth on the offensive line is good enough where I believe the offensive line will be competent no matter the injuries, no matter what happens. And maybe that's all Darnold, Gase, Bell, and the crew needed is a competent offensive line. We don't know because it was so bad last year. JetsXFactor.com, 
check out the YouTube page. Um, latest on the website, Michael Nania hit on Chris Herndon. Blewitt's working on something new. I forget what it is, but it'll come soon. And um, also, latest for me was Greg Williams' Tampa 2 and how he tweaks that Tampa 2 coverage. It's an interesting thing, and that's going to come on YouTube pretty soon, probably Sunday or Monday. It's an interesting thing. Instead of using the linebacker, which he uses, he uses the traditional Tampa 2 coverage as well, but instead of using the linebacker all the time to play the whole zone, the middle third zone, he uses Brian Poole, which does a lot of neat stuff. It allows him to keep everything in front of him. It allows Neville Hewitt, who would have been the whole guy, mostly now, since he's back, it allows that guy, instead of having to play a little deeper, it allows him to stay in the front seven, play the run, be more attentive there. It's just one wrinkle Greg Williams uses. He also uses the inverted look with the robber from the free safety where they start off single high. Um, Check that out at JetsX Factor, video coming. And until next time, Sabo Radio.